Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. It was drafted by Thomas Jefferson. It was unanimously ratified by the Continental Congress. It's the most important document in the history of our nation. There's one sentence. One sentence stands out above all others in our Declaration of Independence, and this is it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the American way. That is the American dream. We have a right to life, and we have a right to freedom, and we have a right to pursue happiness. We have a right to enjoy the good life. Well, what is the good life? Do you have the good life? And how do you get the good life? And last week, we saw Solomon explaining the good life, and it's not found where most people are looking for it. What is that good life he told us? And what is it not he told us? And first he led us down into this deep valley of pessimism and discouragement and cynicism and negativity. Only to then lead us out into this beautiful mountain peak of purpose where we look out at the good life from the 10,000 foot view. Realizing the perspective God wants us to have. So, And if you missed that message last week, will you please podcast it? Would you dive into the depths of of Solomon's mind in Ecclesiastes and let God teach you what the good life is and is not from that 10,000 foot view? This week, we're going to keep it in the family. We're not going to look at Solomon, we're going to look at his dad. Because David now has something to say about the good life. And again, it's not found in stuff and it's not found in, in, in experiences, but it's found in relationships. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 34. Psalm chapter 34. We're going to continue in our Stay Positive series. And what we're going to do in Psalm 34 is we're going to take a section, a slice of this psalm, and carefully lift up seven of the 22 verses, the the middle third of it. We're going to study these verses. You may say, well, why this section? Because in this section, the word good is used four different times. And he's teaching us how to live the good life. David is going to say, let me teach you what the good life is all about. But you need to understand something about David. He seemingly is not living the good life. He's running for his life. He's been demoted, run out of the kingdom. His reputation has been slandered. He's been accused of treason. His father-in-law Saul is trying to kill him. He's lonely. He's away from friends, he's away from family, he's lonely, he's in a distant land feigning madness before a pagan king who also turns him away, but he prays to God. He seeks God, and God hears his prayer and answers his prayer, and God helps him, and we quickly learn the first lesson that just because life is hard doesn't mean life can't be good, and some of you need to hear that. Just because life is hard doesn't mean life can't be good. Some of you have had a hard life. Some of you are going through a difficult time now. And you need to remember, just because life is hard, doesn't mean life can't be good. The passage we look at today is also quoted by Peter in the book of 1 Peter. 
As he writes to these Christians scattered all over the place, facing intense persecution. And he's reminding them, just because life is hard, doesn't mean life can't be good. And so read along with me Psalm 34. Psalm 34, starting in verse 8. David tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is someone who desires life? Do you desire life? Loving a long life, do you desire a long life? And to enjoy what is good, do you desire the good life? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. What we have in this section is we have a twofold understanding of the good life. First, the good life is found vertically in our relationship with God. Secondly, he's going to teach us that the good life is found horizontally in our relationship with each other and our relationship with people. So the good life vertically, what is it? The good life trusts God. That's why verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Trust and see that the Lord is good. Oftentimes things will come with a recommendation from somebody. Hey, go see this movie. It's really good. And you go see the movie and it was really bad. Hey, try out this restaurant. It's really good. And you go to this restaurant and it was horrible. It wasn't good at all. David is making a recommendation to you and me. And he's saying, God is good. Trust him. Taste and see. And he is good. Very good. So many people are tasting the things of this world, thinking they are good. And again, we saw it last week. Things of this world are cotton candy sweet, but they leave you sticky and dirty and empty and sick. Solomon trying alcohol and money and sex and material possessions and entertainment and building projects and fame and more and more knowledge and doctorates and dissertations and wisdom and all of these things. And it leaves them all empty and all futile and chasing after the wind, he says. Those are the things of the world. We need to understand what the true good life is all about. And he says, taste and see. Now, he can't taste for us. You've got to taste yourself. And so your faith, your faith and your trust in God is the taste bud of your soul. You've got to trust God. And some of you right now may be finding that hard to do because you're going through something very difficult. If you trust him, you will find that your God is good. But somebody can't trust him for you. You must trust your God. And maybe it's trusting him for the very first time today, coming to know him as your savior. Maybe it's trusting him for the thousandth time in your life, saying, God, I need you now more than ever, and I'm gonna trust you. Taste and see. Now, I like this quote by Derek Kidner. Tasting should be more than casual sampling. See, tasting isn't hitting Costco or Sam's Club for these tiny little samples down the aisles. Okay? Yes, where's Rick Huseman? I think that was him. He, he had a joke that he takes his wife out to Costco for lunch. <laughs> See, listen very carefully. 
taste and fully buy the product. Taste of God and fully buy into who your God is. That's, the, that's what this means. So trusting in a good God is the surest way to live the good life. Please understand that. Trusting in your good God is the surest and quickest way to enjoy the good life. And you've got to trust him enough to run to him. That's why in verse 8 it says, how happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Would you run to your God? Would you trust in your God? Place your life in your God. Psalm 32.10. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Just trust him. And so the good life, trust God. The good life, secondly, fears God. Yeah, fears God. Isn't that strange? We see this in verse 9 and verse 11. Living in fear seems to be a really strange ingredient for the good life. What is that all about? Believers are told to fear God, verse 9. His holy ones fear the Lord. Child of God, you need to fear God. People of God need to fear God. Well, what does it mean to fear God? It means to have a humble reverence because he alone is worthy. It means to have a devoted obedience because he alone is deserving. It means to have a committed service to God because he alone we owe our allegiance to. Psalm 211 puts it this way, serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. And so there's fear and yet there is joy. I love how Joseph Benson defines it. Serve with a sense of his great and glorious majesty, making you careful and diligent to please him and afraid to offend him. That captures it. Now, I want you to understand fear also means this. To fear God means I anticipate ultimate accountability and judgment. I anticipate that. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, I need to anticipate that. I'm told in scripture, let not many of you become teachers, my beloved brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. I will be judged before the Lord for how I handle this word. And so will every teacher of scripture. There is a future judgment coming for every Christian. This is written to Christians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. Yes, you need to fear God. You're going to stand before him. And this is not a judgment for heaven or hell. This is a judgment, Christian, for the stewardship of your life. What did you do with what God gave you? How did you use the gifts that God gave you? Did you live for the glory of God or for the glory of yourself? Christian, you're going to stand before the Lord and he is going to judge you. You need to live in fear of your God if you're going to live the good life. Fearing God leads to the good life because fearing God leads to wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so fearing God leads to the good life because fearing God protects me from the bad life and making foolish decisions. So live in fear. And he says, if you live in fear, you will lack nothing, verse 9. Alan Ross puts it this way, they lack nothing because fearing the Lord means trusting him, obeying him, and worshiping him. And then we're told for the third time fear is mentioned in verse 11. Fear God, fear God, and teach others the fear of God, verse 11. Come children, come listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. See, David is saying, 
I've walked with God for many years. I've learned many lessons. I've experienced many things. You who are younger, especially you who are children, would you listen to those who are older who have walked with God and feared God? No wonder so few in this world live the good life because they don't fear God. And if you don't fear God, you lack wisdom in this life. And if you lack wisdom in this life, you make mistake after mistake after mistake in this life. And mistakes have consequences in this life, leading to a very bad life. Fear God and you gain wisdom. Gain wisdom and you stop making mistakes. And mistakes that come with consequences that lead to a bad life. So please fear God and you will lead and live the good life. Mature believers, would you please teach the younger generation this? Would you please care for the younger generation? Well, they don't want to listen to me. Well, that's your own bad attitude. There's plenty of them that want to listen. And look for those that will listen. Take the time and care for them. And let me just give a shout out to all the youth workers in our church and youth group and all the Sunday school teachers and Awana leaders and and vacation Bible school and, and embrace ministry. Absolutely. Thank you for working with our youth. Thank you for loving them. Thank you for caring for them. How desperately the youth of today need to be taught. There is ultimate accountability with God. Have humble reverence toward him and devoted obedience to him and committed service for him. That's the good life. The good life is your relationship with God. Trust him. Fear him. Verse 10. The good life seeks him. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. He uses an interesting illustration. Young lions. They're young, they're strong, they're healthy, they're fierce, they're cunning. And even these predators don't always get their prey. As a matter of fact, someone came up last night and told me there's a ratio of only 20% of the time will a lion get its kill. So even these young, vibrant, strong lions don't always get the prey. Do you know what that means? Being young, strong, and full of energy is no guarantee of the good life. That's good news for us that are older, that are no longer young, no longer vibrant, don't have the full strength we used to, or the energy, or even the health. Do you understand, you who are older, The good life is not found in in youthfulness and strength and vitality. You can have the good life even into your senior years. As long as you are trusting in God, fearing God, and seeking God. Because that's where the good life is found. So seek him, would you? Would you start seeking his will like you haven't been seeking his will? That's the good life. Seek him. Would you start seeking him in prayer? And start praying like you haven't been praying? Would you start seeking his wisdom? Spending time with him in his word? Would you start seeking him? Seeking his companionship and his comfort? That's where the good life is. It's found in your relationship with God. And seeking him. And then the promise for the second time, you will lack nothing. So the pursuit of true happiness begins with the pursuit of God. If you want True happiness, if you want the good life, it's found in the pursuit of your God. In Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Now, now we have a transition in the text. As he's talked to us about our relationship with God, that's the good life. Trust him, fear him, seek him. So he goes from this vertical relationship with God and now he's going to go to a horizontal relationship with people because the good life is found in our relationship not only with God but with others. And he raises a question after verse 11 and verse 12. And here's the question. Who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? And the question is asked of you this morning. Do you desire life? Do you really love life? Do you want to love life? The question is, do you want the good life? That's the question. Now, the other question is this. Are you willing to do what it takes to have the good life? Yeah, 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 I want the good life, and I desire life, and and, and length of life, and desire, and love it. Yeah, I want the good life. Well, there's a lot of people that wish they were in shape. There's a lot of people that want to be in shape. There's a lot of people that complain that they're not in shape. Are you willing to do what it takes to get in shape? Many people are just full of excuses. They're even upset that other people are in shape and they're not. Are you willing to do what it takes to get in shape? And are you willing to do what it takes consistently, day in and day out, to get in shape? So the question is, do you want the good life? Are you willing to do what it takes to have the good life? Because you can have it and you can experience it and you can live it. And it is seen not only vertically in your relationship with God, it is also seen horizontally in your relationship with other people. And now it's going to get intense and very practical and very personal. And some of you need to hold on. Because you say you want the good life. But do you really? See, the good life means this. The good life shuts its mouth. You need to learn how to shut your mouth. Verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. There are many people that rob themselves of the good life and struggle to enjoy the good life because they don't know how to keep their mouth shut. And that's what God's word says. And some of us here struggle with this. We just don't know how to just zip it. And our mouth gets us in more trouble than we would like to admit. See, an open mouth invites disaster. Proverbs 13, 3. It's the one who guards his mouth that protects his life. That's the good life. The one who opens wide his lips invites his own ruin. That's the bad life. Proverbs 21, 3. The one who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And that's why so many people don't have the good life because their big mouth gets them in big trouble. We have self-sabotaging mouths. All of us do. Understand that. We all do this at times. A self-sabotaging mouth gossips. Proverbs 20.19. The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid Avoid someone with a big mouth. I want you to understand. Nobody wants anything to do with you. If you're talking behind people's backs. Because if you're talking behind their back, it's only a moment in time before you're talking behind their back. 
And so nobody can trust you and nobody wants a relationship with you and people run the other direction from you. You're not going to have the good life because you don't have a good relationship with people because you talk behind people's backs. Be very careful. Learn to keep your mouth shut. Self-sabotaging mouth mocks people. Proverbs 24. Mocker is detestable to people. This is not attractive. You're detestable. Putting people down, sarcastically making fun of people. It's not funny. You hurt your relationships with people. Self-sabotaging mouth complains. Philippians 2. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Everything without complaining. So that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine as stars in the world. See, some people walk into a room and it's like the light switch goes on and they're so grateful and they're so kind and they're so complimentary. And some people walk into a room and it's like darkness descends. And they're whining again and complaining again and grumbling again and groaning again how everything in the world and everything in their life and everybody's so bad. Who wants to be around that person? I don't, and neither do you. Please understand what you do to relationships when you can't keep your mouth shut. You sabotage them. Also boasts. Proverbs 27 too. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. People don't want to hear about how great you are and everybody you know and everybody you've done and everywhere you're going and everything. People don't want to know. Let somebody else praise you. Let somebody else brag on you. Humility will be exalted. That's the good life. Pride will be humiliated. That's the bad life. So said Jesus in Matthew 23. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Self-sabotaging mouth gossips and mocks and complains and it boasts and it's obscene and crude. Ephesians 5. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Give thanks. That's what he wants. Self-sabotaging mouth slanders and just spews hate. Colossians 3.8. But now put away all the following. Put it away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Just be done with it. This just erodes, eats away at the good life. And now what he does, he goes from verse 13, keep your tongue from evil, general term, and we looked at all these different specifics, to the second part of verse 13, and your lips from deceitful speech. So now he gets specific. And he's talking about lies. He's talking about deceit. God hates lies. We see that in Proverbs 6, two of his most hated sins. It's mentioned twice in this list. But then we see it in Proverbs 12. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. So, so don't live in lies. Don't live in the shadows of deceit. King David, you know what King David did? King David had a zero tolerance policy for liars in his kingdom. Zero tolerance policy. Psalm 101.7. No one who acts deceitfully will live in my palace. The one who tells lies will not be retained here to guide me. He says, I'm not hiring a single liar. I fire liars. When it comes to the work in the palace. When it comes to the work here. 
don't tolerate lies. Don't tolerate liars. By the way, that should go for your business as well. You own a business, you work somewhere, you don't hire a liar, you fire a liar. You get rid of them. Because they destroy is what they do. It's lies that destroy not only businesses, lies destroy friendships. Lies destroy marriages. Lies destroy families. Lies destroy churches. Lies are destructive. Lies and deceit rob others and rob us of the good life. It's so foolish to, to live in lies. You, you tell lies and then you live in fear and you live in insecurity and you live in what ifs and then you're trying to cover your tracks and you live in shame for what you've done. Charles Spurgeon said lying in wicked talk stuffs our pillow with thorns and makes life a constant world of fear and shame. You can't even sleep at night because of your lies. Think about that the next time you're tempted to tell a lie. It's like stuffing your pillow with thorns. Worry and the fear and the shame. Honesty is truly the best policy. You can lay your head on a, on a pillow, a clean conscience. Colossians 3. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. So, so no more self-sabotage of lies. So you may say, well, what, what do I do? What do I do with this mouth, Pastor Scott? Man, I'm so tempted to gossip and slander and brag and complain and lie. I'm just so tempted. What do I do? Well, start this way, Mr. Monkey Emoji. <laughs> Cover that trap, man. In other words, limit what you say. Limit what you say. Proverbs, and we're going to go through some practical things. Proverbs 10, 19. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. It's real simple. The more you speak, the more you sin. Understand that. The more you say, the more you'll sin. So limit your words. Here's another one. Listen and slow down. James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Always tell the truth is the next one. Always tell the truth. Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist. It's the belt of truth. It's the armor of God. That's your protection. Always tell the truth. What does that mean? I have a belt on. Wrap, wrap your life with the truth. Wrap everything in your life with the truth. Listen, I take this belt off it won't be pretty, <laughs> okay? You take your belt off. It's not, it's, you're going to lose your drawers. That's lies. Lies are not pretty, okay? When the, it's, it's basically the relationship pants fall off. That's what lies do. They undermine the relationship. Be sure your sin will find you out. Always tell the truth. And some of you need to tighten up some notches, because you've been making excuses for a little lie here and a little lie there and an exaggeration here. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I don't think you understand. I don't want a single lie. I don't want any deception in your life. I want honesty. I want the truth. The next thing we can do is pray. Psalm 141.3. Lord, set a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. 
man, when was the last time you and I prayed about our speech? Said, God, I need your help here. I'm so tempted to slander and brag, and I'm so tempted to, to lie and deceive. And God, would you help me and just put a guard over this mouth and take it to the Lord in prayer? Why pray? Because I got to tell you, we got to recognize the danger. You and I don't have a chance without God's help. You don't have a chance with your mouth, friends. Not a chance unless God helps you by his spirit. Listen to God's description of your tongue, your mouth in James chapter 3. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, oh, it's a little tiny thing in your mouth compared to the rest of your body. It boasts of great things. Consider how small a fire is, sets ablaze a large forest. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. That little thing is a world of sin. It's placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It affects everything in our life, that little tongue does. Sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. No one can tame the tongue. No one. Without God's help, it can't be tamed. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Do you understand what your tongue is? It is an arrogant, unrighteous, restless, hellfire, spewing snake is what it is, spitting unending deadly poison. This is your tongue. It's a viper that is coiled up in your mouth with its raised head ready to strike and spit poisonous venom at anyone again and again and again. And husbands, you'll strike at your wife. Wives, you'll strike at your husbands. Parents, you'll strike at your children. And children, you'll strike at your parents. You'll strike at a stranger on social media. And you'll strike at a co-worker and just strike and strike and strike. It's never ending. That's how dangerous that little viper is in your mouth. You've got to control it. You've got to limit what you say. Listen and slow down and always tell the truth and pray and recognize the danger. And next, you've got to live in fear. The fear of God. Matthew 12. Jesus said, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have, an, have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. God makes it very clear. I'm recording everything you say and I'm recording everything you say to every single person. And so you better be very, very careful what you say and how you say it. So the good life shuts the mouth. The good life, verse 14, turns from evil and does what is good. Look at verse 14. Turn away from evil and do what is good. So bad choices always undermine the good life. Bad choices Evil choices always undermine the good life. Bad choices are like termites. They, they eat away. They erode the good life. Many a good life has crumbled. Many a good life has crumbled with bad choices. Don't let that be the life God has given you. So turn away, he says, turn away from evil. Turn away from everything and anything evil in this world. And, and hate it like God hates it. In Psalm 97 you who love the Lord, hate evil. Don't flirt with it. Don't get close to it. Hate it. Romans 12, 9. Detest evil. So turn away from evil. And what does that mean? Literally, it means bend out. 
Bend away from anything that is evil. Drive in the opposite direction. Take the nearest exit ramp. Proverbs 16, 17. The highway of the upright upright avoids evil. Steer clear of it. Put the gas on. Get out of there. The one who guards his life protects his life. That is the good life. So bend away, turn away, not only evil, bend away and turn away from evil people. We're taught that clearly in scripture. Psalm chapter 1. How happy, how blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Don't listen to him. Or stand in the pathway with sinners. Get away from him. Sits in the company of mockers. Don't do what they are doing. Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise. But a companion of fools will suffer harm. Share these passages with your children. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. So many people are self-deceived. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Having the wrong friends makes it next to impossible to live the right way. Your friends matter, young people. Your friends matter, older people. Please be careful. Turn away from evil. And then he says, do what is good. And do what is good to people. Again, building that relationship. Understand Ephesians 2.10, you were created for good works, which God planned beforehand that you and I should walk in them. So God has good works for you today to do, tomorrow to do. He's not only planned them and created you for good works, he's gifted you for good works, child of God. He gave you a spiritual gift so that you can do good works. So turn away from evil and do good. Edify others. Build up others. You were made for relationship to do good in people's lives. Do what is good, morally right, virtuous. And these two phrases go hand in hand. Turn away from evil, do what is good. We see it again in Romans 12, 9. Detest evil, cling to what is good. So the most effective way of avoiding what's bad is by engaging in what's good. Those who do good experience good. Look at Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Keep doing good. Turn from evil, do good. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So he says, I want you working for the good of all, but especially fellow believers in Christ. I want you to keep your eyes out. I want you to keep your ears open. I want you to go out of your way to be a blessing to other Christians. See, it's, it's selfishness that self-sabotages the good life. It's doing good things that brings about the good life. So do good, it leads to the good life. The good life trusts God, fears God, seeks God, our relationship with God. The good life shuts the mouth, turns from evil, does good, and now we see the next one, the last one, verse 14. And this one's very hard for some of us. It pursues peace. Notice it doesn't just prefer peace. Verse 14, turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Don't just prefer it, pursue it. 
The good life is dependent on this. Hear me out. The good life is dependent on you seeking peace. If you're going to pursue the good life, you must pursue peace with people. If you are not willing to pursue peace with someone today, you forfeit the good life. Please understand that. You can say you want the good life. Are you willing to do what it takes? God wants to know. Because hatred and strife and turmoil, lack of forgiveness, bitterness in relationships with others, absolutely, unequivocally undermines the good life. It erodes it. It eats away and it erases it. Because the temptation is going to be the opposite. You're going to want to take revenge because of what they did to you or said to you, and you're going to want to gossip behind their back and slander them in front of others, and, and you're, going to, you're going to want to give them the silent treatment because you're so mad at them, and you're going to want to hold on to your bitterness and hold on to your hatred and hold on to that grudge, and if you want the good life, you're going to need to swallow your pride, and you're going to need to pursue peace. He says, seek and pursue peace. And if you were here a couple Wednesdays ago, we, we looked at these passages a little bit, and so this is review for you on Wednesday from a couple weeks ago. But it's a good review. He says, I want you to seek peace. I want you to see peace almost like a treasure hunter. You got, you got to chart the course and search for that precious prize, that gold, and, and that prize, that treasure is peace. He's saying, I want you to seek for it. I want you to go after it. M many years ago, I was preaching a series called Politically Incorrect. I think it was in the old sanctuary, the old worship center. And I'm not a politically correct preacher, if you don't know that already. And so uh, I was preaching on a certain topic, and I was politically incorrect, but biblically correct. And uh, there was a man visiting our church for the very first time who was irate that I was preaching this. And he got up in the middle of sermon and he stormed out and he stormed back in and he stormed out and he waited out there and he listened to the rest of this message and then he sent me some nasty email. First one I've ever gotten as a pastor. <laughs> so he sends me this very nasty email and he signed it. And so I got his name. And so I sent him a, I sent him a blistering email. No, I didn't. I sent him a nice email back. And then what I did is I showed up at his house on a Tuesday night with somebody else and I knocked on his door and I said, are you so-and-so? Yeah, I'm so-and-so. <laughs> I said, I'd love to talk to you, talk to your wife. Can I take you out to lunch? Uh, let me think about it. I ended up taking him to lunch the following week. We had a great lunch, didn't agree. I tried to explain the Bible to him and why I stand, where I stand. And, but you know what? There was peace. I pursued peace. I want to encourage you to pursue peace with somebody today. I want to encourage you to go after it. To set up the appointment. To text that person. To make that call. To stop by their house. To listen. Slow to speak. Listen. Quick to listen. Hear their point of view. Maybe even offer an apology. Not because of how you feel about something, but maybe your attitude wasn't right. Maybe forgive them. Stop holding on to bitterness. And you say, I'll think about it. Well, God makes it really clear, and it's not just for a person here and a person there. Hebrews 12, 14. 
He says pursue peace with how many people? Everyone. And holiness, without it, no one will see the Lord. And so he wants peace with everyone. He, he wants peace with that relative, that family member. He wants peace with that coworker. He wants peace with that other Christian. He wants peace with that neighbor. He wants peace with that stranger. He wants peace with another Christian you're at odds with in a, in a church. And realize the importance of peace in God's eyes. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Do you realize what God just did? He put personal holiness and peace with others on the same level. That's how important this is to God. Not only seek peace and pursue it, how about promote peace? This is preemptive now, our attitudes and actions beforehand. Look at Romans 14. So then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. And the context of this is not causing a weaker brother or sister to stumble, all right? You have freedoms in the Lord. Paul, Paul talks about that freedom to eat meat. I can eat meat whether it was sacrificed to an idol or something, or I can drink alcohol. I, I got these freedoms. He says, you may have freedoms, but be very careful and sensitive to other people and caring for other people and do things that promote peace when you're around them, okay? Don't just think of yourself, think of others. And then prioritize peace. What does that mean? Drop what you're doing. And so we listen to Jesus on a hillside overlooking this beautiful big lake, Galilee, as he's gathered with thousands of people. And he is explaining true righteousness and, and the context of it is anger and murder and insulting and calling someone a fool. And in Matthew 5.23, Jesus said this, if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Do you notice the setting? The setting is Church. It's the temple in Jerusalem. They're in the middle of worshiping God. This is something good and something God-honoring and something spiritual. And he says, you're in the middle of church and then you remember. Not that somebody hurt you. Oh, it's easy to remember that, isn't it? I remember when they hurt me and I remember what they said about me and I remember what they did to me. It's easy to dwell on our pain and our hurt and our unfair treatment. He says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. You remember someone is mad at you. And maybe you did nothing wrong. Maybe they misinterpreted your actions and misinterpreted your words. And, and, and maybe it's because, honestly, they're just too sensitive and moody and immature. And they can get over it, or they can come to me if they have a problem. Uh, no, 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 that's not what Jesus says. He says the responsibility is yours when you know someone is mad at you. He says, I want you to reach out to them. I want you to seek amends. I want you to offer help, to bring closure, to bring healing. I want you to make peace. And he says, I want you to get up in the middle of the church service if you need to and go do it. Because it's this important to the Lord. Stop whatever you're doing. Get up and go. See, reconciliation is prioritized over being religious. Because this is true spirituality. Make it a priority first. Be reconciled. Restore the relationship with a brother or sister. Whoever it is, you make it right. And then he says, come on back. Come on back, offer your gift, and worship. Now, pursue peace, promote peace, prioritize peace, and we need to understand, if at all possible, peace. 
And, and this is good. I'm so glad God put this in his word. Romans 12, 18. If possible, Paul writes, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the Apostle Paul is very realistic. The Apostle Paul had enough altercations in his life to know it's not always possible to be at peace with everybody. He had a major falling out with Barnabas, the guy who was instrumental in discipling him as a new believer. In Acts 15, there was such a sharp disagreement, they part company over Barnabas wanting to take John Mark and Paul saying, there's no way he abandoned us on the last missions trip and we're gonna I'm going to take Silas and boom, they went their separate ways. He had numerous altercations with Jews. They wanted to kill him. They argued with him. They tried, he tried to reason. They hated him. And he would reach out the best he can. You can't force peace. You can strongly encourage it. And by the way, Paul writing to the church in Philippi, two women in the church, can you imagine? I'm going to stand up here. There's two women in our church and they're arguing back and forth and I'm going to read their names aloud. <laughs> That's what the pastor did when he read this letter to the congregation of Philippians 4. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche. And they both went like this. <laughs> to agree in the Lord. Get your act together, ladies, and work it out. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side. I'm urging you to make peace with somebody, Paul says. And God is urging some of you today to go make peace with somebody. Do what you need to do. He says, as far as it depends on you, run after peace. I went on a trail run on Thursday. I went down to Hoover Forest Preserve and was just running through the woods. And man, I, I love Hoover because there's deer everywhere. Dozens, dozens of deer and all kinds of different. So what I do is I don't stay on trail. I go off trail and just run through the woods. And I'm just chasing these deer. I got, a, I got one picture of them. There's, they can't see the two down here, but the other guy's just bounding. And can you believe they wouldn't let me get close to them? I just like, what's up with you people, you know? I just want to pet you, right? <laughs> they wanted nothing to do with me. And I'd have to stop and get back on trail. You know, peace is like that sometimes with people. They're just going to bound away from you. They're not going to let you get close. But you still got to try. You still need to try and honor the Lord that way. Live at peace with everyone. Why? Here's another reason, because God blesses peacemakers. And what we do is we climb back up on that hillside and listen to these words on the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus in Matthew 5. He sees the crowds, he goes up to the mountain, he sat down with his disciples, they came to him and he began to teaching them how to be blessed. And what true blessing was. And blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the humble and merciful. And then he gets to the seventh blessing and he says this, blessed are the troublemakers. No, he doesn't say that. He says, blessed are the what? The peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Do you want to be blessed by God? Do you want the favor of God on your life? Do you want the good life? Then you must be a peacemaker, or you will not have the good life. Are you willing to do what it takes? See, do you notice God didn't say, blessed are the bridge burners, he didn't say, blessed are the grudge holders. He didn't say, blessed are the silent treatment givers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. You'll be called children of God. See, we live in a world that's ready to fight. 
We don't want peace, this world. They, they want to fight and fight and fight and fight and argue and argue and argue. And you're going to make a difference in this world, not because of how you fight and not because of how you argue, but because of how you reach out for peace. And that doesn't mean you can't take a stand for what you believe in, but just don't be obnoxious about it. And don't be a fighter. Take a stand for right against wrong, absolutely. But be a peacemaker is what God says. And if you're a peacemaker, you will have God's blessing. And you will have God's favor. And by the way, you will be like God. He says you'll be, like, you'll be the son of God, children of God. See, because God is a peacemaker. Do you realize God pursued you? He came after you to make peace with you. You didn't go after God. He came after you. Because God loves you and God cares for you. And God died on the cross for you to make peace with you. That's Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That is Jesus. God came out of heaven to die on the cross for you. That through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you realize what God paid to make peace with you? Do you realize what God did to make peace with you? Do you realize how important God's peace with you was? He was willing to die for you to make peace with you. Please swallow your pride and go make peace with somebody. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, blameless before him. God is a peacemaker, and he wants his children to be peacemakers. And that's the good life, Psalm 34. Trust God, fear God, seek God. Vertical relationship. Shuts the mouth, turns from evil and does good, and pursues peace. That's the horizontal relationship. Live the good life, child of God. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit atharvest.church.